Let me and Skype still aren't getting along. Um, <clears throat> no, sir. You know, it never fails that the little voice comes over and says, unmuted, just as I have a mouthful of pirate's booty, which I wish that that was dirtier than it sounded, but that's just white cheddar snacks, unfortunately. I wouldn't mind an actual pirate's booty. Um, <laughs> Secure is having technical difficulties. But uh, since the topic is uh, she says the topic tonight is being on the Internet provides people with the opportunity to reinvent themselves, and the results aren't always great. So she's going to talk about it when she gets back. But I will just mention, you know, my first go-around in fandom, because I've had like two lives in fandom, so I had like two opportunities to invent myself, I guess you could say. And probably the most egregious thing that happened, like first go-around, is someone faked their death. And I'm sure that this has happened more than once. But, like, faked their death. Everybody went through the whole mourning process. And then it was found out, I don't know, months later, that they were actually alive and had were in the fandom under a different name. Um, I don't even know what to say about that. I really don't. Um, if you need to get out of fandom so badly that you fake your own death, um, I wouldn't come back, for starters. <laughs> I mean, if fandom had driven me to that, as a necessity that I, like, faked an Internet death, um, I would not revisit fandom. I wouldn't come back to it. Um, but I don't think that that was what was going on, as I recall. It seemed to be some kind of bid for attention or something like that. I don't know. It was just really kind of heinous, and um, nobody quite knew what to do with it. Um, because I remember the person who claimed that they had their reasons and whatever. I mean, nobody's inside anybody else's head, but... There's something about um, the opportunity to reinvent yourself, um, something about the environment the Internet provides that I think can bring out the worst in people, um, bring out um, our worst inclinations. And I know that for myself, when I when I had to reinvent myself, I I've talked about in the past that I had to get out of fandom initially for for reasons because of now she's quiet. Oh, now I can hear you again. I'm going to change the browsers. The world has gone silent. The thing is, I don't know if the recording is still happening or not. Oh, you can hear me? Oh, I'm back. Uh-huh. All right, somebody tell me the last thing you heard me say. Okay, so back to reinvent yourself. Um, oh, yeah, so I felt like I needed to leave fandom. 
um, for safety reasons. But I didn't like reinvent my persona. Like I didn't like, you know, create a marriage where there wasn't one or, or change my level of writing experience or, you know, I didn't, I didn't, um, about the only thing I did that was kind of a reinvention is I completely abandoned my old fandom. I was not going to go back into my old fandom um, under a new name and interact with people who I had known for years, disingenuously pretending like I wasn't somebody else. And that was one of the, you know, that was one of the reasons why I didn't, explicitly one of the reasons why I didn't go back to my original fandom was because I didn't want that. Uh, layer of deception. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I I change the name so you know of pe- people and places to protect the innocent and the guilty because that's the responsible thing to do. But I'm pretty above board about a lot of information, and I didn't want to go back into a fandom where I knew people and pretend like I wasn't me. So that's one of the reasons why I left that fandom behind and moved on. And every once in a while I cross paths with people that I knew before and I have to just keep quiet about the fact that I know them. Um, and, you know, I don't try to re-engage with them and, and it I just kind of let that thing slide by because, you know, sometimes you just have to bury some things and move on. Um, and so... You know, that's one of the reasons why I was so much more careful when I created the the my new the new iteration of my my internet personality was because I didn't want to go through that whole process again of feeling like I had you know to sever a part of my life um, in order to protect my privacy and my job and everything else. So um, there are ways I think to go about um, handling the invention of yourself online that have, I guess, more more integrity than others. Um, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things you could choose to say about yourself that, you know, might or might not be true. Like, there's just some things that I would never, never fundamentally be comfortable saying. Um, now, the funny thing is I, I wouldn't hesitate to change my gender online to say I was a dude. That wouldn't bother me at all. But it would, for some reason, it does kind of cross a line for me, like to claim I was gay if I'm not, which I'm actually pansexual. Um, I've mentioned that before. But it would actually, um, there's some things, I don't know, that for me are a little bit like skirting things a little bit too too much. Um, and the the dude thing, I think, is mostly a a safety thing. Actually, more than anything else, is that in some communities, I think some internet communities, it's safer to be a guy than it is to be a girl. You're not gonna get um, abused in some environments as much if you are not female. Um, and Jeep, one of the, Jeep says, her mom always says, the more you mess with shit, the more it stinks. You know, that's true. The closer you stick to the truth, um, the the easier it is and the, the more authentic and genuine that you are. And there's something about, you can kind of spot, I think you can spot the people you interact with online and in fandom. Let me take a pause real quick and do a sound check. You guys still hearing me? Yay. Okay. Um, there's something about um, people you interact with who you know are authentic, who are being genuine, who are themselves, that you respond to, that you um, 
I think there's something innately that we recognize when we know someone's being authentic. Um, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna call out my 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 internet wife. Um, the first time I met Zena online, I knew that that was all Zena. Uh, she's something very authentic and very genuine about her, and I knew that that was who she was. And it didn't matter that I didn't know her real name. It didn't matter that I didn't know where she lived. It didn't matter that it. That she could have made up everything. All of her biographical details could have been completely false, and I still would have felt like I was dealing with the authentic person that she um, portrayed herself to be. And then, some, you know, conversely, there are people that I've interacted with online where I feel like I'm dealing with, you know, from the get-go, from, the, from word one, that you're dealing with a carefully constructed personality for online. And that, always, that doesn't always go well. I think Kira might be back. I am. Um I'm so irritated. I am so fucking irritated with my stupid thing and um, um, <clears throat> stupid Skype and shit. I'm just I'm really irritated with it. Um, I had no idea what you said. <laughs> I was talking about um, that even if biographical details are all completely false, and we assume that people's biographical details are false, um, that you know when you're interf- – on some instinct- instinctive level, you know when you're dealing with people who are authentically being authentically themselves versus people who have a carefully constructed Internet personality. I think, honestly um – When I started out as Kira, I knew I would have to um, kind of um, – that there were some things that I would not be able to talk about or to, to discuss and um, due to professional reasons. And I was okay with that. And um, for a long time, um, I tried really hard – no, sir. No, sir. I tried really hard to um, – to, I don't know – to. It became really super difficult to hide my personality. Yeah. And the personality um, is hard. The personality is like, I think you wouldn't, you know, have, I honestly don't think that you would have the following you do if there was a lot of artifice to your personality. Well, it's really super stressful to to hide who you are, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, Come on, baby. You need to get off my headphone cord. You're so crazy. I, I mentioned <clears throat> earlier when you were on the when you were off was that when I had to reinvent myself, um, reinvent my new per- personality. I made I made a choice not to go back to the old fandom I did because it felt so disingenuous to go to these people, hundreds of people I'd been interacting with for years, and pretend like I wasn't me. Right. Um, and that's just really really difficult to. Um, try to be someone um, different. And, you know, so you just, you know, you, you hide the relevant details that make you findable, but otherwise you just be authentically you. One thing that, um, as a writer, I encounter um, in writing groups are people who inflate their abilities. Um, And I don't know how true that is on the internet in particular, but um, there was a young woman in my writing group 
who was, oh gosh, she was all of 25, and she lied continuously about um, things like um, being offered contracts that she turned down because it wasn't good enough. You know, shit like that. And I'm like, really? Come on now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on. Like, we can't see through that. Don't lie to my face. I've seen your writing. You weren't offered a contract. <laughs> And that's one thing about being a writer as long as I've been a writer. Um, I know based, I mean, it is difficult, I think, to um, inflate yourself looking at your writing. I mean, you can say all these things outside of it, but when you look at somebody's writing, um, all that falls away. You know um, whether they have experience or don't have experience, it's really easy to see um, the depth of their skill in their writing, unless they're purposefully writing shit. And even then, sometimes you can tell they're purposefully writing shit. <laughs> like I had a friend, and I—it's um, been two decades, so I guess it won't hurt to tell the story. Um, and I won't be using her name. So she had a two book deal with a publisher and she also had an option clause in the public, in, in the, in the contract um, to write a third book. Well, she hated her editor. Oh, she hated her editor so much. By the time the second book was put together, the last thing she wanted to do was to ever speak to this woman again, as long as she lived. She told me once she would rather jump in a volcano than have coffee with this editor. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's, that's extreme. So when it came time for her third book, she had this amazing book. And um, she had this unfortunate option clause. And she knew if she sent this book to this publisher, they were going to take it. Um, and uh, so we're all sitting around. I said, well, don't send her that book. Send her a different book. You don't got to send her your favorite book. Send her, I said, write a new book. Write a new, and it was my fault. It was my fault. So we plotted out the most ridiculous plot we possibly could, right? And she wrote it, and it was ghastly. I mean, it was, (laughs) and she sends it in. She sends it in, and this terrible editor actually wanted to contract it. Oh, my God. And we were all like, damn it, are you serious? <laughs> that was like, I mean, it was like the ultimate crack thick. But we didn't even know what crack thick was at the time. I mean, it was just like. It... So my friend talked to her agent and said, you know, I sent this terrible, horrible, no good book to um, the editor and she liked it. Would you read it to help me get out of publishing this? Because I didn't think she would actually want it. And the, and the agent knew what she was about because the agent knew how much my friend hated this editor. And so the agent read it and she called my friend laughing her ass off. She said, oh my God, I bet she hasn't even read it. <laughs> so and is my, that what happened? So her agent calls the publisher and asks for the editor's boss and says, um, um, we got a problem. My author sent the wrong book in to, your public, um, to the publishing house, and your editor wants to offer a contract for it for the option clause. Um, but it really is the 
the wrong book and um, I don't think you actually want to publish this book. I think you need to read it. And that editor got fired. <laughs> because she hadn't actually read the book. That wasn't my friend's intention. It, she just didn't want to publish another book with this editor. Um, but the editor wasn't doing her job. Because if she'd have been doing her job and reading the material that she was supposed to be reading, she wouldn't have offered a contract for a contemporary romance novel, that was the option clause. A contemporary romance novel. My friend sent in a campy science fiction suspense. <laughs> it was like Star Trek meets Galaxy Quest meets Fraggle Rock. I mean, it was just like, <laughs> it was fucking ridiculous. And <laughs> all the characters' names began with the same letter like no not all but like if they had a first name that was Alfred their last name was Anderson and Bob oh the Bartley. alliteration yes <laughs> she across, was the board. across <laughs> the board oh my god it was terrible and um yeah so she did succeed in writing a really terrible book, but you could tell it was terrible on purpose. So it's kind of hard to hide um, the writer in you. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes out in a variety of ways. Um, I think I think that's true with any creative process, whether you're an artist or. Um, you know, or a writer or a singer or a song, you know, just whatever you're doing creatively, I I, I think it's really hard to hide your talent. And yeah. even when you're doing it badly on purpose, it, it there's a, there's a sheen of talent across the top of it. <laughs> Cause she had to be super talented to write a hundred K of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> that was some carefully constructed shit. <laughs> but you know what? All of her fucking grammar was accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's sort of like, you know, I took a few art classes with my sister. Art was her deal. It wasn't really mine. But, you know, I needed some art credits for college. So I sucked it up, sucked it up, and I took a drawing class. And um, there was this artist who... You know, had this whole thing, you know, they were doing introductions, you know, this whole thing about how they'd never done any art, because it was, you know, drawing for people who'd never drawn before, right? And this was me. I was like, you know, I have some kindergarten experience with the big Crayola box, but other than that, you know, I'm not an artist. And there's this lady who has very much the same story that I do. Oh, I've never done this before. Da 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 da. It's just, you know, whatever. Um, we into our first pencil drawing where we're learning perspective, doing a still life thing. I mean, she cranks out this freaking masterpiece. Right? <laughs> it's got perfect depth, perfect perspective. All of her, everything was right about this drawing. It was just like it was just so ideal, and, and like no one seemed to bat an eye about this. Like, because apparently there were several people in the class who had taken this class more than once. And um, I was talking to somebody. Um, Afterward, I was like, wow, she's really good. I can't believe that she, you know, didn't, has never drawn before. I was like, oh, she said that two semesters ago, too. <laughs> she just expects.
expected that nobody in the introductory to drawing class would take the class twice. And apparently several people do. <laughs> so, because there are a lot of, I guess a lot of people like me who don't get good at it very quickly. <laughs> it's so annoying, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can't, it's not, you just can't, like you said, you can't hide the creativity in you, right? You can't hide your experience. I don't, you know, what the the main thrust of this was about was, um, um, the fact is, is that maintaining a personality um, like I do requires a certain level of deception. Um, and diligence. And diligence. And sometimes I trip a little. I tripped last night. I was over there editing my podcast at 2 o'clock in the morning because it took that long to get it to fucking come up. Um, so for those of you who listened last night, and if you really, um, you re-listen, you'll notice there's a little spot that's missing now because of my husband um, and his inability to keep his, you know. And then my not whisper. <laughs> You know, the only part I heard was your not whisper. I heard his his mumble, but there was nothing clear to me. <laughs> well, but, then, I mean, but then I heard your it, not it whisper, and I very, went, oh. It, it was very clear on the when I listened again. So, um, oh. but you know what the thing is is, um, Zan, um, Zan said in the chat room that she hates liars, and then said, you know, that's not what I meant though. You know, about being deceptive. And the fact of the matter is, is I hate liars. Um, it makes me, there is, you know, I would rather honestly get smacked in the face and lied to. And I mean that. I mean, I would rather you just smack me in the face than tell me a lie. But um, there were, there are, there are moments during my um, fan life where I do have to be um, deceptive. And sometimes it can be uncomfortable. Um, um and it's also bled into other parts of my life because um my my Kira is not a um uh, a well-known thing among my family because they can't be trusted. <laughs> That's why mom my, my my mom isn't my friend on, on on my Kira profile even though she would love to be because she uses her real name and I know it no more than two days would pass before she'd tell one of you that she was my mother. And she wouldn't do it on purpose. My mom was just, like, you know, super proud of me. She's super proud of me. Um, and it comes out. And um, we can't, we'll be in a bookstore. Like, when my second book came out, I'll tell you a story about my mom. When my second book came out, she, um, we're in a Books a Million, and that's a chain bookstore for those of you who are um, not familiar. Um, and my book was in the section, and it was fronted. And, and what fronted means in a bookstore is that your cover is out for everybody to see. And after a certain period of time, when your book is no longer new, it gets put spine first. So they'll see the title, but not the cover of your book. So your book's no longer being fronted. Um, my mom... Whenever she sees one of my books on a bookshelf, she fronts it. Even if it's been out for over a year. That's a good mom. 
She fronts it. She doesn't even care. She she's done it in front of people before. So my mom, my my second book comes out, and um, my mom um, and I are in Barnes and Noble, and um, it's you know it's it's front and center in, in the little shelf, and um, I took a picture of it because. <laughs> the time I was really that that was a thing for me is like taking a picture of my book on the bookshelf um and uh we had gone over to the little coffee shop in the books a million um and uh I'd gotten some coffee and she'd gotten this little vanilla icy drink that, that she likes a whole lot from there and she wandered away because her drink got done first so I came, so I, after my coffee gets done, I go looking for her, and she's back in the section where my book is, talking to two women and telling them all about me and my books. I don't particularly like this. This isn't something that I'm comfortable with, but my mom and on and on and on. Those ladies bought both the books of mine that were on the shelf, um... They wrote down my web address, and then I had to follow them all the way up to the front of the store so they could buy the books and I could sign them. No, sir. Oh, my. <laughs> like, and, Mom, come on. <laughs> and you know that if she knew your 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 cure thing, that if there, she ever ran to anybody who mentioned fan fiction, she'd be like, my well, daughter. my daughter. <laughs> Let me introduce you. She totally would, and that's why she's not my friend on Facebook, um, because she couldn't help herself. And it's, you know, it's not a complaint. I'm not complaining because I know a lot of women um, my age don't have good relationships with their mother. Um, I do. Um, I count my mom among my best of friends, um, and she's super proud of me. And she, you know, she doesn't even hesitate. And so I can just see her. I could just see her in a fandom discussion. People talking about Harry Potter. Well, my daughter writes Harry Potter. Let me give you her. Let me give you her <laughs> website address. She'd be all over it. She would be my BNF. <laughs> Actually, she is my BNF. <laughs> but she'd be. Um, it probably could get really out of hand too. Cause can you imagine if someone like then dissed you because you wrote Slash or something to her? Oh, my mama would lose her shit. <laughs> This is this is a woman. When I called to tell her about Aunt Claire, she says, well, "Do I need mm-hmm. to come over there?" <laughs> I said, "No, my mom already home." She said, "Well, next time, call me while it's going on. I'll come help." Let <laughs> <laughs> me tell you a story about my mom. She goes to um, she goes up north to Canada every year for um, um, vacation. Um, uh, we have family up there um, living in Maine. And um, but they go to Canada and everything's cool. You know, they have a lot of fun. Um, lunch with Aunt Claire was awesome. Mom loves her new sister. She could, in fact, be her favorite sister. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, my mom's in Maine and um, her sister-in-law, oh my goodness, her sister-in-law um, uh, had gotten some glasses and the prescription was fucked up and she couldn't see out of them. And these glasses had cost um, several hundred dollars and the eye doctor refused to give her money back. And my mom got told this story her first night there 
starting their vacation. The next day, my mom says, well, go get in the car. We're going to go into town. So my aunt gets in the car. This is my father's sister. And they go into town, and my mom says, well, where's your eye doctor? And my aunt has no idea what's about to happen. She doesn't know. My mom is usually on her best behavior when she goes up north. She don't know what's about to happen. So my aunt guides my mama to this eye doctor. Mama gets out of the car, strolls in, drags my aunt in with her, explains the situation to the receptionist, threatens to call a lawyer, and demands a refund. Oh, man, we can't. Oh, yes, you can. And every time the woman says she couldn't, oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, you are. Oh, yes, you can. My aunt said she must have said it 15 times, right? So the doctor comes out and tries to argue with her, and she says, well, here's what I know. My daughter is actually really good at getting on the Internet and making websites and stuff. And if I leave this store without her refund, I'm going to call my daughter. And by mid-afternoon, there's going to be a website dedicated to how fucked up you are and how you steal from the low ladies on pension. They left with a refund. And I would have done it, too. I totally would have done it. Um, put, put him in his crate. Go to bed. Go to bed. Bed. I'm totally in the wrong room for that. <laughs> Come on now. You're about to pick him up, babe. I'm not sure if we lost Kira. She's tending to Jack. For having technical difficulties. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, I have. I have no blanket in sight either. It's tragic. Um, okay. So Kira's probably resetting her Skype or whatever needs to be reset, and she'll be back shortly. But um, yeah, it's got it's important to keep the whole internet, the the internet personality separate from from the from the real life things. Even if you keep most of your details the same, because family, family and friends, they're terrible. And a lot of family, um, oh, and actually, my family's better than my friends. But some of my friends way back in the day, they did not get fandom. They didn't get the need for anonymity, and they would be perfectly willing to just out you left, right, and center to anybody they could talk to. Oh, this one writes fan fiction. And it's just like, well, let's not get into that. Well, what's your name? Oh, I'm not giving you my Internet name. Just we need to not have this discussion right now, and I'm getting out of the Starbucks before this situation deteriorates any further. And, yes, there was a very nightmarish situation from the one friend who knew that I wrote in fan fiction in public in a Starbucks, and I'm having a horrible flashback right now. Can you hear me? Yes, you're back. Yeah, um, my dog was hooked up um, into my headphone cord, and he pulled it out of the computer. <laughs> I, 
it's so, a thing. You were talking. You were talking about your mama, and she got a refund. And I was thinking while you were saying that. Yeah, she walked out of the refund. She walked out of there with a three hundred dollar refund and a twenty five percent coupon off on my aunt's next purchase. Well, there you go. <clears throat> but see, if your mama had your any connection to your Kira life, the, she'd have her the, own fandom. Well, she would. She would have her own fandom, and I'd be totally playing farm town with her. But <laughs> the, you might um, be <laughs> already playing farm town with her. Um, no, the the one really great thing would be the inevitable explosion on Kara Azkaban, Zara Azkaban, or wherever the fuck that site is. <laughs> oh. Clan Brad, meet Mama Marcos. The shit would go down. She'd probably have, have to fun. the whole fucking thing down. Oh, my God. It would be terrible. I bet you that at the end of the day, that Yahoo group would be in ashes. <laughs> <laughs> shit got burned down. That's not, that's not even... That's probably quite true, actually. It's kind of terrible. Um, I do get my temper from my mother. And um, recently, um, my mother... Uh, added I'll cut you to her uh, list of things oh, that no. she'll say to people. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I'll cut you. Fucking hilarious. But what I was talking about um, really is that you can't um, that a lot of stuff about you is impossible to hide. And that's what I'm getting at. You know, yes, there's going to be things that you can hide and, you know, and there's things that you can't, you know, and um, acknowledging that about your your fandom life, I think, is super important because um, otherwise things get super stressful and you don't know what to do with yourself. And and I used to the thing is, is I think in getting outed for me is inevitable. I'm going to put it off as long as possible, but um there's never, I don't know. Well, my husband says there's nothing anonymous on the internet, and eventually I'm going to cross somebody with some skills in that area, and they're going to out me on purpose because they're an asshole. <laughs> now you were outed um, in your previous fandom. Do you feel like it was personal, like it was done on purpose to hurt you, or <clears throat> I don't know. Um, the person who did it always claimed that, no, that it wasn't, like, a spiteful. Um, I don't know that I believe that, um, because, you know, clearly if someone is operating under a uh, pseudonym, under an art false name, using a false identity, that there's that there's a reason for it. You know, you, you can't just have an unthinking moment and go, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. Um, it felt it felt malicious, even if it wasn't malicious. Um, fortunately, it was at a time and the maturity of the internet wasn't what it is now, and um, it it didn't it didn't get out horribly. I did get some phone calls. I did get um, some contact to my real email address. Uh, one person showed up in my town. Um, it was just kind of a whole unpleasant scenario. I'm kind of um, horrified over here. I'd file a restraining but, order. <laughs> Be like, bitch, come on now. 
and you know, kind of when I disappeared, and you know, the, the person who who had given my name out, um, she didn't she didn't give it directly. She gave it to somebody who gave it directly. And you know, she's like, "Well, I, I didn't do it on purpose. And I thought I could trust that person." And um, blah 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 blah. Well, you know, when yeah, the only way to keep a secret is to not tell anybody. You know, that's the truth of it. Um, and um, you know, so that secret, even now, that secret's already out there. There are people who in, in fandom now who know who I really am. But you know, I hope that I've been careful about who I told. But there's just there's no when someone tells you something in confidence, there is no safe person to pass that on to, because they didn't tell that other person. They told you, and keep it to yourself. You don't you know you don't get to. You know, it'd be sort of like, you know, if I knew something about you, you are, you know, you you made the decision to tell me something based upon what you knew of me. And I don't get to decide that the person next to me um, deserves that information. You didn't evaluate them. You evaluated me. And that's kind of how that whole thing went down. And I felt like the person who who ultimately put my name up and my hometown up publicly in a Yahoo group, did it maliciously, although they claimed that it wasn't. They thought that uh, it was a misunderstanding that I was releasing the information and that wanted people to know who I really was and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, the illogical side of that is if I want people to know who I really was, I wouldn't need to go through the telephone game. I would just do it myself. So, I don't know. It was. I felt it was really ugly. Um, and um, you know, but that that whole thing about um, keeping your um, fandom life and your, or whether whether even if it's not fandom, if it's just your your um, like your pen names separate from your real name, if you're a writer, there's there's a big safety component in why people do that. Um, it's not just um, it's not, you know, it, we're, you know, people are. There's a reason people keep themselves anonymous. And at that time, way back then, when we didn't have a lot of the safety problems we have now uh, on the internet, that was more about my work than it was about um, personal anonymity. There was some element of I didn't want my, you know, I didn't want to cross the streams, but the people I worked for. Um, they had, you know, what I would call, what you might call decency clauses in my employment contract. And uh, I could have been fired if somebody felt like something that I was doing publicly was what they would term indecent or might bring embarrassment to the company. And I couldn't afford to lose my job. So um, that's why when I got outed, um, aside from the fact that Aside from the fact that I was um, sort of disenchanted, I had to protect I had to protect my my career at that point in time. And aside from the fact I worried about people knowing who I was and where I lived and all that kind of stuff, and my phone number, um, I couldn't afford to let that stuff get back to my employers. So um, what I did, and it was specifically what I wrote, right? I mean, I wrote like hardcore male male sex and that was going to get me in big trouble with my boss so I uh, 
moved on. I took a long hiatus from fandom. I never stopped reading, but I took a long hiatus from participating in any way. I'm over here making my no baby face. It's just all scrunched up. I can't even barely see. Because it's so irritating. Um, And I don't know... um, If I was outed against my will in fandom, um, I would feel so utterly betrayed that I doubt I could still participate. I, it just... I don't know that it would hurt me career-wise or if it would damage... Um, anything else that I currently do, but it would, um, it would definitely, uh, I just can't, I I can't even think about how much that would, um, it would just, you know, in this day and age, that would have me looking over my shoulder, you know, it would. Yeah, because it, I mean, it would reveal a lot about me and, and the way the internet works, um, and, even knowing where one of my professional pen names could lead you right to my front door because um, publishers register your copyright in your real name. Not your pen name. Yeah. And those are public record. People are just utterly terrible. They really are. And But, you know, when I made a decision to come back into fandom, even on the periphery, because I didn't start writing again in fandom until, I guess that was 2013 or 2000, 2013, I think. Um, but I started, you know, getting involved in the peripheries of fandom again in 2009. I had to make a choice at that point what I was going to say about myself. And I could have pretended like I was never in participa- participated in fandom at all. I could have pretended like I had never written anything in my life. I could have um, done a lot of different things. I could have said I was a published author. I could have said that I wasn't, you know, that I was a professional writer. I could have done a lot of things. Well, I, technically I sort of was a professional writer since at that time I was a technical writer, but whatever. Um But that is that is the other side of it. Zan just pointed out in the chat room that my minions would lose their shit, and that's probably true. And that's kind of terrible too, because um, the fallout with me leaving and taking my stuff with me um, would be really ugly. <laughs> you know, and I would be, I'll be, oh. <laughs> I mean, my There'd website passed thirteen thousand members today. There'd be a lot of unhappy people. A lot of unhappy people after that asshole. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it is important that that people, there are consequences to what we do online. There are consequences to what we say. There are consequences to, you know. And one of the things about putting up a lot of artifice when you are, um, and not being authentic when you are creating your alter ego, whatever that's going to be, is that the more you get to know people, the more your artifice is in the way because you can never be authentic. You can never be genuine with these people you're getting closer to 
because there are real good friend, you know, friendships that come out of people we meet online. And maybe it's one person out of 10,000, but that is still a wonderful thing, that a wonderful byproduct of the community we have online is some of the, sometimes you have make a best friend. And if your um, Internet personality is full of artifice, you have to get past that. You have to... Um, you have a big hurdle to overcome dealing with people um, wanting to get to know people better. You want to know how Lady Holder and I got over it? She'd given me her phone number, and one night she pissed me off so much I called her. <laughs> the internet was no longer enough. And I forget, I honestly forget why I got mad at her, but I called her. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> But I think the dam really broke when I took her to the bathroom with me. Once you've paid with somebody, there are no boundaries. There, are, yeah, there's, there's, that's it. She there's was no on the phone. She wasn't here in person in my bathroom. She was on the phone with me. But Once you've taken you... the pee with somebody, you know, she says she remembers why. <laughs> I bet she does. I literally, I really don't remember why. <laughs> But if you had told her all along, you'd tell. Let's say you told her all along that you were a, I don't know, a 27-year-old Japanese woman um, in Maine. Maine. The fact that you don't live in Maine, which actually you may live in Maine, I don't know. But the fact that you don't live in Maine probably wouldn't phase her in the bit a bit. But you know, other stuff is when other stuff is fudged too far. You know, if you told her told her like stories about being raised in Japan or something, and all of that was <laughs> bullshit. You know, it's just just some things you can only fudge some stuff so far before people start taking it as a betrayal. So, you know, well, what I would say is that um, is um, be as real as you can while you're being fake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I can't, I can't, I can't keep up with a bunch of fake names. So I refer to people by their designation in my life because I'm not going to like give my sister's real name out to people publicly. Um, but I can't keep up with a fake name for her. You know, I just can't do it. Now I admire the people who can, and I understand. If I could, I would. If I could give her a new name and remember it, I would totally do it. But. Um, I can't remember it, <laughs> so I don't, you know, ever call her by her name. Um, but, you know, the closer you are to the truth, the easier it is to remember the few things that you need to keep um, separate to be safe. One thing I think is really funny is whenever I change my location on Facebook, inevitably someone will come along and say, oh, you moved? I, I hope it wasn't super stressful. Yeah, some of the places no, baby, you've lived. I didn't move to Britain. I, I, no. <laughs> but some of the places you've lived, I'm pretty sure there was another planet there at some point. Middle Earth at one point, yes. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm like, maybe no, I didn't move to the UK. Well, and then someone got super job- excited because I was living in um, somewhere um, up again? north. Yes, and they were excited, like we could go have coffee. I said, honey, I really don't live there. She was really super disappointed. <laughs> I um I had on my um 
my job for a while, and it may still be my job, is um, dragon handler at the International Dragon Preserve. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Someone actually wrote me in all seriousness, and Affy, and they weren't a minion, to be fair. It's one of the crazy people that I play games with, wrote me to ask me where that was. I think I'm currently tyrant leader at Rough Trade. Yeah, you are tyr- tyrannical ruler. Yeah, tyrannical ruler. Um, cause, because someone called me a tyrant about my policies on Rough Trade. And if you don't like it, don't go over there. That's my shit. I mean, uh, you know, you can say that's arrogant, although I have a story about that too. Um yeah, it's a Facebook thing where you list your location and job. Well, all my shit's fake on on, on Facebook. Um, <laughs> um, and what was I saying? I got the chat room totally distracted me. You're talking about um, what? <laughs> Yeah, sorry. I, now I just had I had a brain short. I'm like, what? Um, you were talking about um, um, the places you've lived and people contacting you, thinking that you had thinking your Facebook information was real. Um, where were you going with that? So you I just don't started- know. It it just totally left me. It's totally gone. And I'm not sure if this is because I'm getting old. Shut up. Or if it's some other thing. Hormones, menopause, moving. We, we, we can blame anything you want. Menopause. All good. Any of those Hormones. things could do it. Lack of sleep. Oh, someone called me a tyrant about my policies on rough trade. Um, about feedback policies. And, and it was actually a writer on rough trade, one, one of the ones participating. Um, and how um, she wasn't getting the feedback that she wanted on rough trade because of how restrictive I am about feedback and how, um, um, and I told her if she didn't like it, then she could take herself elsewhere. That I wasn't going to alter the rough trade environment to cater to her. No, I don't live in Coffee, Georgia, but I have been there. It wasn't really particularly impressive to have such an awesome name. Well, so there's probably, you know, not even good coffee. I haven't been to Coffee, oh. Georgia, but I've been to that part of Georgia. It wasn't super exciting. Um, <clears throat> so this person told you that they didn't appreciate. You told them, you know, if you don't like my policies, go away, and they called you a tyrant. Yes. That's okay, though, because I don't care. Um, I built Rough Trade to, um, wow, that's going to sound arrogant. Okay, but I'm going to say it anyway. The Go thing for is, it. is, I saw a need in um, fandom among the writers that I was interacting with. Um, and fandoms are so insulated uh, that... You know, here are the Star Trek fans, here are the Harry Potter fans, and here are, you know, the Inception fans. And there there are crossovers. I'm a crossover. But a lot of times they don't. Um, you see a writer and they only write in one fandom. And they have a very isolated experience in fandom. And I thought, you know what? 
there's a big bang, but it's only for Stargate, or there's a big bang and it's only for James Bond, or whatever. And there's no, there's no. It's all very isolating. And I thought, well, what if, what if we had a place where you could do it all at once, and it wasn't so isolated, and there was, um, you know, a challenge environment, and where you could, you know, where I could interact with other writers and kind of build an online table. And I've talked about that before about um, my writing life in real life versus my writing life on the internet and how um, that I sought out and created rough trade because I needed more (laughs) from the writers around me on the internet. I needed more interaction, more, um, uh, because there's nothing really as awesome as sitting down with another writer and talking about your craft. Um, and I was missing that in fandom. And so I, um, that's where Rough Trade, you know, well, Rough Trade started with just Nano because I didn't like my Nano groups that I had in, in real life. And I didn't like the online Nano group either. And I was like, well, fuck it. You know, I want to go over here and create a Nano group. <laughs> for fandom and see what we can do with that and it was called Naked Nano to begin with and it was about um, creating a space where you know it didn't matter which fandom you were writing in or if you wanted to write original and you you know everybody was kind of welcome and so that's where it started but there came a point when I'm thinking to myself you know what some of these people need a little direction (laughs) I want to help you out stop putting author notes in the middle of your stories (laughs) Yes, don't talk to me at the end of a scene. I'll put parentheses in. I'm gonna mentor the I'm gonna mentor your asses whether you want it or not. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of that's arrogant. <laughs> um, so yeah. I just kinda <laughs> it's just it's really you know, uh, it's it's actually kind of my um one of my, uh, you know, I, I talked before about, before about my husband saying I have a cult personality, um, but it's not really about that. It's just I like to have people around me who I find um, who stimulate me, who who get me thinking, and um, who who get me inspired. And so I kind of collect people who um, who do that, um, which is really self-serving. So as much as um, I give to Rough Trade, I get a huge, I get a lot out of it. Let's just put it that way. So it's not completely selfless what I offer on Rough Trade. Um, It's, I get a lot out of it. I find it a very satisfying um, project to work with. And I really enjoy um, working with other writers. And um, I just... And it does allow me to give, um, to give, to be a little bit more genuine with my craft. Does it, does, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very um, organic, um, creative environment. Um, and there's something about doing it in lockstep with a bunch of other people that just kind of helps pull down that resistance and the inhibitions and like, I'm going to go for it. And... I don't know. We call, we, I guess you call it shared misery, but it's not really miserable, you know. But there's something about walking that journey with other people that just really brings the creativity level up, and it's really inspiring. 
And unusual, apparently. Um, someone someone sent me an email and um, was talking about Rough Trade and how they'd never seen anything else like it in fandom. I never have. And I'm thinking, is that really true? I mean, but then I thought probably it probably is true because, like I said, fandom's very isolating. It is very isolating. And for those of you who only ever experienced the Sentinel fandom and then you went away depressed, branch out. It's better <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> Come to Stargate. We have we, we have, have Daniel Jackson. <laughs> and cookies. You'll like Daniel Jackson. Daniel's awesome. But um well, I just, just I think Daniel Jackson and Blair have a lot in common, so that's, so that's why I picked him. They um, are very similar. And uh, but uh, yeah, you know, so when I started, I, obviously I started out in Stargate, and, and when I branched out into Harry Potter, my Stargate fans were, "What? What are you doing? Oh my God, are you leaving Stargate? <laughs> what are you doing? What?" They freak the fuck out, right? And I'm like, no, I'm just going to try this over here. I'll be back. Don't worry about it. Slow your roll. <laughs> because and I, that's when I first realized how isolating um, fandom is. And um, and that's why I don't cater to it on my site. Um, I'm going to write where I want to write, and you can read it or not. I mean, you know. And a lot of times readers will tell me, you know, I've never read the Star Trek until I read Tangled Destinies. Or I didn't read Harry Potter until you wrote The Birth of the Serpent King, and now I'm over here on fanfiction.net and it's all your fault. (laughs) (laughs) That is not my fault. Like, you're not blaming me for the pit. No. (laughs) Hmm. But then, you know, I also had Sentinel readers who started reading Stargate because they read The Awakening. And I started doing Sentinels of Atlantis, and then um, <laughs> one woman in particular, she was re- she read this The Awakening, and then she started reading Sentinels of Atlantis because she was a Sentinel fan. And then she said she had to go over to Amazon and buy all the Stargate or watch all the Stargate because she had never seen Stargate before. And she's in the middle of season two, and she sends me an email and she says, "Well, when's Matt going to come to to Atlantis?" Um... Um, I said, oh, honey, Matt's an original character. He's not really going to be on the show. And she said, God damn it. <laughs> that was the only thing she responded with. And then a couple of days later, she responded again. She says, I'm sorry I said God damn it to you. But it, it, it wasn't personal. <laughs> <laughs> I said, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I understood what you meant. <laughs> you know, if I had, if I had found your site um, way back when, before you made your jump to Harry Potter, or dabbled in Harry Potter. I probably would have had like a traumatized reaction to the whole, um, because and it was it wouldn't be because of the different fandom thing. It was because when I was heavily involved in the X Files fandom, it was like all like there's this moment like there was this mass exodus from the X Files, and um, it was like all of the the well known authors, all the big name fans were like leaving, like, well, I'm leaving the X-Files fandom, I'm going to go. And it was like inevitably, like 99% of the time, where are you guys going? What are you going to go do? We're going to write in Harry Potter. What? And at this point, <laughs> and this, the, the books were not even all done being published yet at this point, right? So from my perspective, and I, had very, I didn't have any exposure to the books at that point in time. And I was like, the kids' books? What the fuck? <laughs> 
you guys can't, you guys are going to give up, like, one of the darkest fandoms in history and go write magic. Harry <laughs> fucking Potter. Children and, and magic, magic. are throwing you. <laughs> but it was like, it was like this this huge, like, wave of our authors went over to to Harry Potter. I was like, I don't understand. I don't understand. What the hell's going on? You know, and I kept those opinions to myself, but I was still like, <sighs> I had a major huff about it. So. <laughs> yeah, and then I started reading Harry Potter eventually, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe I get it. But, um, but yeah, if I, had I, to, if, I, I would have totally had, like, a complete meltdown if I had been reading you as a star, <laughs> Stargate author, and you'd gone, I'm going to go do some Harry Potter, and I'd have been like, no, it's happening again. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Here's the thing. I don't understand why people think I'm only allowed one fandom. You can have as many fandoms as you want. You can, you can like. I mean, these people have them all. Read. We're not gonna, we're not gonna complain a bit. They will read in five or six or ten different fucking fandoms, and then you have a writer who's only writing in one, and they branch out, and they and they and they lose their fucking minds. Like, oh my god, oh my god, what are you doing? Are you leaving Stargate? No, asshole. Here, read some Harry Potter. <laughs> Calm yourself down. It's just I don't know. It, it was it was surprising, and I'm like, I'll do what I want. <laughs> what do you mean I can't? No, shut up, shut up, whore. <laughs> just I don't get it. I can do whatever I want, including live on Mars. I'm gonna do whatever I want, whether they think I can or not. Let's just be honest. Well, not everybody does drums. Um, a lot of readers get very attached to um, a particular author's work in a certain way. And I do have Harry Potter fans that are um, not who, I guess you would call them microaggressions about me um, drifting back towards uh, Stargate. Uh, well, I would say that your some of your Harry Potter fans have some macroaggressions. It's <laughs> not all that micro about it. <laughs> it's like, there's nothing little about that. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, you know, it's um, it can be annoying um, and, um, and and really off-putting. And I'll say this, and it's going to be, like, if you case you um, might have missed it, um, I have said before, and I will say again, I'm 95% spite. Um, and uh, don't, don't tell Kira that she can't do something. And, and don't try to tell her she can't do something, hoping she will do it anyway. She'll spot your reverse psychology a mile away. But the, every time someone brings up, well, I wish you would update this, I'm like, nope, not updating that. <laughs> not going to do it. <laughs> nope. Yeah, that just got, yeah, that just got bumped to the bottom pile. I was working on it, but, oh, gee, no, I guess I'll no. another project. I can't, I can't. And that's how I ended up um, outright abandoning an entire series and swearing on my magic and never on it again. Um, because um, this woman harassed me about it. I can't. I can't deal. It honestly put me off writing Het for like two years. I'm like, fuck all that. I'm going to go write some dick sex. 
Obliquely grateful, you know. Not that someone <laughs> harassed you, but the outcome was just wonderful. I do agree. Um, Zan says anyway. It's not the HP fans that are the problem. It's the het HP fans that are the problem. I totally agree. They're not a basket of deplorables. They're more like a basket of assholes. And I, <laughs> and this is going to sound sexist, but I get the worst treatment out of male het readers in the Harry Potter fandom. I, you know, honestly, I, I talked earlier about how my fans um, uh, tend to treat me very well um, with a great deal of, of care and respect, and it's something I super appreciate. So whenever I encounter someone who doesn't, I'm talking to you as our Azkaban, um, it's kind of startling um and they're they're terrible they're absolutely terrible um i'm pretty sure i mean i'm a hundred percent sure that the person who threatened to cut my head off was a het hp fan because they got mad because i made my site um friend um members only and they threatened to cut my head off you know a man did that. What woman yeah. What woman has that in her brain? No, women aren't gonna That's not a threat a woman makes. Um Uh and I, that's really actually hard to laugh off when someone threatens to cut your head off. It is. Uh, what really? That's where you went? Because you had to make an account? They didn't get to make an account because they made the mistake of using um, my comment form, which harvests IP, and I blocked their IP address from my site. So, it's, um, you know, I think I've got this right. Um, all idioms are colloquialisms, but not all colloquialisms are idioms. And that's relevant because not all HP Het fans are horrible, but all the horrible fans are HP Het fans. So <laughs> if you're a Het HP, if you're a fan of Het HP, you know it's not you know necessarily saying that you're horrible. It's just you know they all come from that basket. They all do come from that basket, and it's um it's 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 terrible. And right now, I've got like four people on the site. They're new, and they're all reading the um, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. I can tell because they're hitting like on all the parts as they go through them. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm just waiting because two of them are obviously male. And I'm just waiting for the inevitable, why the fuck are you writing Harry Draco? Because they're going to see those stories on my Harry Potter page, too, because I don't separate them because I don't see any reason to separate them. Um, And... Honestly, sometimes it makes me want to cut membership off and say, okay, that's it, no more. Um, because every time I let somebody new into the site, I open myself up to the op- to potential abuse. And I approved 45 new members today. Uh, <laughs> 
and I don't want to cut membership off and say, okay, you know, that's that's all you get. Um, because um, it's just going to cause issues and problems and emails and complaints and comments and. Uh, It'll have a horrible ripple effect, too. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But what I would ask in response to that is exactly how much crap do I have to take before I'm allowed to say, you know what, no, stop, I'm done. Oh, you can say no whenever you want. I know that, but they don't know that. No, they Um, don't. It's you know it's just it becomes like this thing where you where you um and I, back to the the topic at hand about internet personalities it you know crafting um a separate person from yourself online does offer you some insulation um against uh attacks being very personal because if they don't know a lot about you that is genuine they can't attack you in profoundly hurtful ways. You know, the more information somebody knows about you that is genuine, the more their ability to hurt you is. It's just it's just the way it works. The more they know, the bigger they can hurt you. So if you don't offer strangers a whole bunch of information about yourself on the internet, yeah, I mean there can be you know rape threats and beheading threats and you know all that stuff, but it doesn't. Having someone say, I want to cut your head off, Kira, was it nearly as upsetting it would be if they'd used my real name? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) There's a, there's a separation there, you know, Um, when someone doesn't have your name, your real name. So if they had your real name and they threatened to cut your head off, you're like, whoa, because that dude could find my house, (laughs) you know? Yeah, that's really it's really scary. Um just the idea of I don't know how some people deal with being their true self, their real identity online in fandom. Because people are individually individuals are fine, but people as a group, they're horrible. A lot of times they're horrible, especially in fandom, and they do crazy stupid stuff because it's like their inhibitions go away. Their moral compass seems to just not be able to find north when they encounter things online they don't like. And they'll somebody who would never do something like that in real life will issue death threats online. But the thing is, how do you know that they would never do that in real life? And you don't want to find out. So no. you have to, you know, so, you know, it's and like, Beyond beyond the world of fandom, I mean, we see people get in some political discussions that are very, very, very heated. I won't even have political discussions with my real name because people get way too upset about that shit when you don't agree with them. Way too upset. And they especially in no this recent election cycle. Yes. This this recent election cycle has brought out some darkness and some very vicious people um 
But when I say brought out, they're all they've always been here. Now they feel like they have a voice. They have this freedom to express this heinous crap that's always been in their head. And um as much as it's nice to know where the racists are, dear racists, I'd like you to get back in the the, the closet because you're fucking me up. Right. Mm-hmm. Go on now. <laughs> I felt better about the world before all of you felt like it was okay for you to say just how horrible and ugly you are inside. Some things you should just keep to yourself. Ignorance was truly bliss. You know, yeah, because... I just, I don't need to go there. It's it's really frustrating, um, the the whole thing, watching this election cycle and um, seeing all this ugliness and this racism and this sexism. And, you know, you're thinking to yourself, really? Is, Is this where we are? Really? And, you know, you, there's this kind of this moment, because this, this actually ties back to the whole um, being disingenuous and not being authentic. I would actually have a little bit more respect, not a lot, but a smidge, for someone who's outright go, yeah, I'm a racist, sexist motherfucker, and now I've got a reason, now I've got an okay, a path to be out be out front with it, as opposed to somebody who goes, says horrible, racist, sexist crap, xenophobic shit, and then says... That's not what it. That, that's not racist. That's not sexist. That's not xenophobic. You're, you're, you know, and trying to deny what is patently true, what is patently observably true, and deny that that's what it is. And they're kind of like gaslighting all of us. Um, and, kind of. Well, okay. <laughs> Actually, so we're we're all being told that our perception of like rampant racism and misogyny is wrong. Because saying horrible things about women is not that's not that's not sexist. You you guys don't know what you're talking about. You're you're impinging on my freedom of speech. Um It's like they set your house on fire and then deny the house is on fire. Right. And it's sort of like I would have a little bit more respect for you if you just owned your horribleness. And say, Yeah, I'm horrible and King horrible is way raised his banner, and I am following. I mean, I I would have a little oh, bit more, Lord a, a teeny tiny bit more respect for you if you just owned your ugliness, you know. But to try to make it be my fault or my problem or my perceptions being wrong because you're an awful person. <laughs> yeah, I got my judgy I've gotten panties to on. The- I, my judgy panties. Um, I I've gotten to the point where if someone says something to me that I don't like, like that, I don't argue. I just go fuck yourself and I walk away. I can't even. I'm, I'm not. I'm not even going to entertain their 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 point of view. Go fuck yourself. Bye bye and go. I go. I go. I'm done. I did the horror of the um, early Sunday morning grocery shop, and uh, here we have Safeway. So that's where I go. Um, and I'm at Safeway, and I live in a very – I'm not in a swing state, folks. I'm in a – and I'm not – and I'm not in, like, you know, if you looked at California on a map, you'd have, like, two big blobs of blue where everybody lives, and the rest of the state would be red. 
because <laughs> California is hugely uh, it's got a lot of agriculture and a lot of area that are just sparsely populated, and those areas are pre- pre- predominantly Republican. But you talk about the Bay Area and L.A., San Diego area, big, big blobs of deep, deep blue. There's just no debate about what's going on in an election in my area. And there was a Trump supporter in a screaming match in the parking lot with a Clinton supporter over a bumper sticker on a car. And it was getting so ugly that this was Sunday this past week. And it was getting so ugly that the police had to be called because it seemed like they were actually going to get into a fist fight. I just have never seen this kind of behavior before. It's just astonishing. It's Trump supporters are so convinced that they're right. And what they want is normal and moral. And they can't tolerate anybody disagreeing with them. And they're not smart enough, and this is ugly, but I don't care. They're not smart enough to realize they're being played. That this man, who is everything they are and more, doesn't actually care what they want. Donald Trump is a narcissist. He doesn't give a fuck what his supporters want. He's saying whatever they want to hear because he wants to be president. But he doesn't actually want to do the job. He just wants the title. And they're not, well, they're dumb. And they're not smart enough to know they're dumb. And So he's going to seek out these people who who desperately want to elevate themselves by demoralizing other people. They get their power from subjugating others, and Donald Trump is no better. He's the worst, and he's going to do to all of those people, all the people that support him, he's going to do to them what they're hoping to do to others. And the fact of the matter is when they're paying $10 a gallon for gas like we almost did with Bush, they'll only have themselves to blame if, 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 if he gets elected. Right. It's like they forget how bad the recession was, and we were paying 6 to $7, $8 a gallon for gas. Right now, I pay $1.52 for a gallon of gas. Come on, people. And this, with with the Trump supporters, I mean, even though I'm in a very blue area, every election there's always, you know, the Republican voice. Um, certain, you know, church groups, certain large church group interests, they tend to like to try to push things through um, in our state measures and that kind of thing. And so there's always a certain amount of Democratic-Republican tension even though, for the most part, we're a blue state. Um, And there was always, until this election, 
a certain respect afforded to differing political views. The gloves are off. And no one, there's like no tolerance to the other side anymore. None. Have you listened to the Keith Olbermann piece? No, I actually have that queued up. Um, 176 reasons. 176 reasons he shouldn't be Trump, be president, yeah. or shouldn't right. be Trump. Um, or shouldn't exist. Um, <laughs> it is horrifying for him to lay out every single thing he's done since he started running for president. Um, all these twisted, terrible, horrible things like inciting members of his audience to um, attack protesters uh, just over and over and over again where any one of these events in the past would have taken the candidate out of the race. If you remember, um, what was his name, the one that yelled? The one that yelled? The one that yelled at a rally and it got him, he lost the primary because of it. I mean, literally, all he did was get too excited at a fucking political rally, and it ruined his chances for, be, for to, to be on the primary ticket. What was his name? Um, I'm drawing a blank. The Shouter. Oh, God, what was his name? Anyway, he was a Democrat. Dean, Howard Dean. <laughs> he got super excited at a political rally and yelled, and suddenly his, primary, his, his chances to be on the Democratic ticket as the president nominee went into the toilet. One event. Well, Donald Trump has had 176 of these events, and he's the Republican nominee. And when you look at public behavior versus private behavior, um, it comes back into that personality thing of the Internet personalities and public personalities. Um and you can talk about whether or not a politician is being genuine or not, but what I would say about Donald Trump is you are you'll get exactly what you see. He is just as shallow as he looks. Well, the thing is, he doesn't make any attempt to hide it. He doesn't make any attempt to even remotely hide how horrible he is. It's not like they're like digging up stuff that people just refuse to believe it could be true because they haven't heard it from him directly. He says all the horrible stuff, and they just go, I like how refreshingly honest he is. Okay. I got nothing. One of my cousins said that, and I said, well, which honesty? The one where he said he liked Putin, where he thought North Korea was led by a great man, or the part where he said that, you know, what part? When the Mexicans are rapists, you know, that women bleed out of their whatevers? What part? So is it the racism you like, or the misogyny, or the fascism, I, you know, or I, his somebody... love affair with communists? Let me know. Oh. Well, somebody said that he um, he said he just isn't afraid to say what we're all thinking. And I said, I have never thought any of that shit. And the fact that you're sitting there telling me that you have and that you are, I completely ruined everything I thought I knew about you. Because, no, it has never crossed my mind that all Mexicans are rapists. It's just... It's just these these words have never come together in my brain. So no, he is not saying what we're all thinking. 
And I read, I watched, the thing I did watch that you posted today was that Lawrence O'Donnell piece mm-hmm. about um, um, presidential how, health. Yeah, health. But he started off with the bit about how it didn't, that Donald Trump basically stated in, a, in his speech on Friday that he was willing to start World War III because of a disrespectful gesture. Yeah. <clears throat> and that the media gave that no attention because they were so busy bitching and moaning and whining and stirring up non-existent scandal over Hillary Clinton's pneumonia. Here's something I think is really interesting, and it's not getting a lot of attention. Um, There are members of Congress that are trying to change the rules about the nuclear football. For those of you who don't live in the United States or who just aren't familiar with what that term means, the nuclear football is a um, briefcase that is carried by a secret serviceman, and it is with the president. That man is handcuffed to the football, and he is with the president. He's within the president's reach 24 hours a day, wherever he goes. Um, And with that briefcase, the president of the United States, with no permission from anyone else, has the ability to activate and launch nuclear weapons. There are no committees. There are no votes. It is designed that way so that the president can respond to an attack. There are members of Congress on both sides of the aisle who are trying to make it impossible for the president to use the nuclear football without permission. Because these elements in the Congress are scared as fuck that Trump will become president. This has never come up before. It didn't come up with Obama. It hadn't come up with Clinton. It didn't come up with any of the Bushes or with Reagan or anybody else who had access to the nuclear football. But now, all of a sudden, since we've got this fucking fascist who thinks it's perfectly okay and who asked in an inter- a one-hour interview three different times why the U.S. wasn't using nuclear weapons against their enemies during a political um, agenda meeting with um, foreign policy advisors, three different times he asked why the U.S. president just didn't launch nuclear weapons at people. And then he turned around and asked Joe Scarborough the same thing. We have nuclear weapons. Why don't we use them? And now, Uh, when there is the slightest chance that he might get into office, Republicans and Democrats are thinking, you know what, we need to restrict the football when they never have before. And he was asked, this was way back in the beginning, I think it was close to the beginning of his tenure in the political race. He was asked, um, I believe it was in one of the early Republican debates, but I could be wrong about that. Somebody will probably know and, and refresh my memory. He was asked what his opinion was on the nuclear triad. He didn't know what it was. Sure. This and, is you know what the nuclear triad is, okay? I'm just saying. And for those of you who don't live – well, actually, nuclear triad is pretty consistent a lot. But if you don't live in a country that has nuclear weapons, there are three methods of deploying nuclear weapons. <laughs> Land, air, via like bomber, dropping, dropping, and submarine, water. So we have three methods of deploying silos, basically silos, submarines, and bombers. It's a little bit more complicated than that. And we have a major, anybody should have an opinion about this, what they think of the state of it, but we have major infrastructure problems with the um, ground method of nuclear deployment because our silos are so outdated technologically that some in some cases they don't know if they would even fire properly if it came to it. 
Which so, means it could fire in the silo, and we would have a nuclear disaster on our own land. Yeah. So there is, it is a, any, nobody, so it's somebody who is going to have the effectively have the keys of the nuclear weapon, the ability to get to the button, the nuclear football, um, doesn't understand our nuclear defense system at all and says, well, we have them, we should use them. No, this is just a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for ending the entire fucking world. And when you point that out to one of his supporters, they just go, huh, I'm sure he wouldn't do it. Well, let's go back to that rape analogy analogy that people like to use where they compare women to a stake in front of a dog. And that dog is Donald Trump and that stake is nuclear weapons. We we'll all die. Mm -hmm. Because never going to happen, just said in the chat room, this is a man who can't, can't not respond to a Twitter insult for a day. He gets baited on Twitter by regular people, not just like people who are famous or people who are reporters or media. He gets baited on Facebook by regular people and he interacts. He, he this legitimately thinks we all want him to be president. Mm-hmm. And this is the guy who, imagine it, he would, even if he didn't, let's say he didn't, let's say he didn't actually cross that line and fire nuclear weapons. He still would, he still got a whole lot of other weapons at his disposal. disposable. And so can you imagine if he can't handle being called out on Twitter by an average citizen well, use a real example. What he would do if someone threw a shoe at him in another country? Does an entire town deserve to be razed to the ground by drone attacks because someone chucked a shoe at Donald Trump? If there ever was anybody who huh? If there ever was anybody who deserved to have a shoe chucked at them, it's him. But it's just it's the scariest possible thing that he might be elected, and. His policies are so ugly. It's not just someone who's ignorant like Sarah Palin, which scares us all because she was just so stupid. Um, it's not just ignorance. It's it's what he would do if he had any power, because look at what he has done with the power he has. Well, you also look at his fiscal policies, which would, which would quadruple our um, national debt um, over $30 trillion. Like in the first two years? Um if you look beyond his um, his social politics, which um, are really difficult to overlook, um, you can go back to his comments about not supporting NATO, um, not supporting our allies if they're not paying their debts. Um, it's it's scary because I don't think that his supporters realize that the security of our country is also dependent on the security of our allies. Mm-hmm. Canada is secure. Canada has a stable government. Um, Mexico is what it is. Our relationship with Mexico is much different than our relationship with Canada. 
because Mexico's government and their social issues on, and the drug trade caused a lot of fraction, you know, a, a lot of tension and, and violence in Mexico that we don't see in Canada. So we can see how difficult it would be if we had countries on either side of us that were in that kind of social social turmoil. Um, if Europe falls into to war because of Putin or North Korea launches a nuclear weapon, because um, they are testing them, they're testing nuclear weapons, and apparently Donald Trump doesn't have a problem with that. Oh, sure, let's give a psychopath a nuclear weapon. Well, of course he agrees with it because he wants one too. And his boner for Putin is really out of hand. Really out of hand. He thinks um, he thinks the guy in North Korea, Kim Jong, how do you say his name? Kim, Kim Jong Un. Yeah, he th- Donald Trump thinks he's effective. Oh yeah, he only kills his citizens for disagreeing with him on a regular basis. Didn't he? Didn't I read to that he has made sarcasm illegal? Yes. Probably because that he doesn't roll, understand like, it. That eye roll like hurt. And the thing is, here's the thing. Here's the thing, people. If you pay attention to the media, and there has been a lot of discussion about how CNN is gaming polls to try to make it look like the race is closer than it is, because it's making for good news. Okay. Um, CNN released a poll that said that Trump was marginally in the lead or something like that, and every other polling. Um, agency who does reputable polling looked at how their polling methodology and said it was bullshit. And then the polling way they the way they polled the demo, demographics they chose were practically designed to show Trump in the lead, because a race that is strongly for Clinton is not going to get them viewers. It's not going to it's not going to get them anything. So several news agencies are gaming the political game right now to make it look like the race right now in this moment is closer than it is. And what I worry about is that Democrats or even undecided voters who were not who don't like Trump but don't know what they're going to do are going to feel defeated by that and not vote. My concern is the exact opposite. He makes a habit of inciting the more violent members of his support group. And they're being told by a so-called reputable um, organization, news organization, that the race is really close. And Donald Trump's already saying that if he doesn't win, it's because the election was rigged. He can go back to this poll. Look, right here, it says I'm in the lead. And this poll, I'm in the lead. And this poll, I'm in the lead. He loses the election. Oh, it was rigged. It was rigged against me. I'm going to sue. Exercise your Second Amendment rights. Yep. And it's... It's really, really irresponsible. And... um, Mm, 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 mm. 
it's really ugly what the political media is doing right now because instead of just reporting what's going on and letting people make up their mind, I don't even mind if they put a little bit of spin on it, but they just ignore a lot of this shit that he pulls, and it is, I believe it is to try to keep the race closer than it would be otherwise. Because I honestly oh, like believe the that most... that he's currently being investigated for raping a 13-year-old? Yeah. And, I, I, and I, you know, I should have been hearing about that from CNN, not hearing about it from some obscure um, left-wing liberal internet magazine. I know. And yet... Nope, nothing. You know, we just aren't going to talk about that because it's rumor at this point. Oh, shut up. If Hillary Clinton had been accused of stealing a taco, we would be hearing about it endlessly. Speaking of tacos, I'm totally on board with the whole taco truck thing. I want that to be on record. Um, There is absolutely nothing wrong with having a taco truck. It doesn't have to be on every corner, but it can be on every other corner. We can have burritos and tacos. I don't, I, I really don't see how that's a problem. I love tacos. I like taco trucks. Bring on the taco trucks. We are so there. I mean, I've already got a taco truck on the corner, but I'm totally down for another one. Because, you know, differences. Maybe one uses flour tortillas and one uses corn. I'm adaptable. I really need taco trucks. I told my mom, and she said it would be so great if there was a taco truck on my corner because I have to drive 20 miles to get tacos. I said, I know. I don't have to drive 20 miles, but I understand her pain. Come on now. And it would be, be great taco Tuesday every if they day. were actually run by Mexican people instead of white people who don't know how to make tacos. I'm sure there are plenty of white people who know how to make tacos. But I get the best tacos from the Mexican restaurant. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> I get the best Italian from the lady who came over here and doesn't speak any English. But she can throw down. Damn. So that is not a deterrent. Telling us that if Clinton wins, that we're going to have a taco truck on every corner. I expect my taco truck to be here by January 1st. All of us here in California are going, it's been like that forever. What the hell's the matter with you? Where the hell's my taco truck? <laughs> Everybody should get the number for that guy who said it, the Latins for Trump. And so we can call him and ask where our taco truck is. I don't have my taco truck yet. I'm really upset. Where the fuck is my taco truck? <laughs> but we have this place called Rosie's. And I'm not sure if it's a chain or not. Do you, um, do you guys have Rosie's? Nothing I'm aware um, of. And it's a Mexican restaurant, and um, uh, maybe it is in the chain. Um, and uh, it's owned by um, a family, and um, uh, three generations work in there. It's the grandparents originally owned it, and now the son runs it. And um, their kids are, you know, on staff. And um, uh, the grandparents don't speak any English whatsoever. And... <laughs> It's great. It's great in there. It's so awesome. Um, they have two menus, um, one for white people and one for Mexican people. <laughs> 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 and, uh, 
And I, well, we were in there one night, and the the table next to us was was Hispanic, and they got a different menu. And I asked the waitress, I said, why did they get a different menu? And she said, oh, honey, you can't handle that menu. I said, can I see that menu? And she says, yes. And she brings it to me. Of course, it was all in Spanish. Um, and so I'm looking at it, and everything on the menu has little peppers by it. I'm like, I probably can't handle this menu, but thank you for showing me. <laughs> Then she gave me the white person menu, and it was, I said, I'll have some burritos. <laughs> but, you know, there's also, um, in Chinese restaurants, there's two menus. If it's if the Chinese restaurant is if, um, is, run by a, is, is run by a Chinese staff, there are two menus available. There is a menu for American Chinese, which is what you and I normally eat, and then there is a menu for Chinese people, which is entirely different. Um and, and most Americans would not eat traditional Chinese food. That's absolutely right. I discovered that the hard way. <laughs> like, what the hell is this? And then occasionally you can even add, and why is it still moving? Right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, you know, it's like we have um, we have good Mexican food here. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily authentic Mexican food, but... Um, it's even, even, you know, even with the, uh, um, although I would say especially taco trucks tend to be a little bit more authentic than, because I've been to Mexico a few times, a little bit more authentic than like the chains. But like when they brought Chipotle to our area, um, you know, we go there and like, I get it. And I like kind of like immediately take a bite and go, what the hell is this shit? (laughs) I've been hearing about Chipotle forever. And it's like, what the hell is this shit? And they go, well, it's like mainstream Mexican food. I'm like, that's a little too mainstream for me. Now, I, see, I like Chipotle. Oh, you need to you need some real Mexican food closer to home. I, well, I like Chipotle because I like their beans and rice, and, and and that's all I get. I'll be like, I need two scoops of rice and two scoops of beans <laughs> and some chips, thank you. Well, that's completely <laughs> different. That's what I like. I don't, I don't particularly like their meat, but if I want Mexican food, I go to Rosie's, and um and uh, it's really good. But I do like the beans and rice. Then, then, then that's really all I like from Chipotle. I'm, I'm not particularly fond of their meat. My husband likes their guacamole. I don't. No. No. I guess for just beans and rice it'd be okay, but I've never just gone there for just beans and rice. And so it was always like, what is this? It has no taste. Although now it might be great. You know, I can't taste it anyway, but... Um, although <laughs> I go for, I, I go a lot for the heat when I'm getting Mexican food now, so it's sort of like I notice that that shit is bland as hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't handle anything really hot anyway. Um, well, I, I have mean, acid reflux disease, so I don't like, I can't. still know that I had Mexican food three days from now or anything. No, like that. really, not, I'm not, not crazy. Not really. <laughs> I really don't want to have a painful experience going in and out. Thank you. <laughs> Because it will be. Okay. If it goes in super hot, nine times out of ten, it's going to come out super hot. I'm just saying. That's right. Oh, you got to be careful. Got to be careful with your junk, people. I'm just saying. Barbara, oh. I'm with you. Cilantro does taste like soap. And it's one, of those, to... it's one of those tastes that stayed with me despite the smell loss is soap weed still tastes like soap weed. I, it it doesn't to me. It it I don't like it, but it doesn't taste like soap. Um, 
I mean, it, to me, the first time I had cilantro, someone might as well have taken a cheese grater and grated a bar of dial soap <laughs> into that salad. I was like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> Why did you give it to me? That's nasty. It is indeed a genetic quirk, and my whole family has it. So, you know, at least I don't have to worry about um, cilantro invading your food when you're eating at their houses. <laughs> exactly. Well, back to the original topic. I, um, I, I, I did want to say that um, while I respect, um, obviously, people's right to keep um, – parts of their life private on the internet and to um <clears throat> uh not um not get ultra personal with people. Um I think it's important to be as genuine as you can in your interactions with other people. Um because you do have the ability to hurt each other. And cause, um, and that's why I think trolling and bullying on the internet can be so damaging. Because in a lot of ways, people who are very introverted have found a um, an outlet online. And they develop a trust. And, and there is a certain amount of trust that gets, um, that, that happens between internet friends and, um, being as genuine as you can, um, I, th- I think it's just important. Um, yes, keep things private, but don't don't pretend to be less than you are, or more, or more. Um, be you. You don't have to. I don't know. You just, you don't have to go that far. I. Like I said earlier, it's it's really hard um, to um, disguise my personality, um, so I don't bother. I um, it was very stressful to try, uh, and keeping my details to myself and renaming my family members um, that's just something I do to protect myself and to protect the innocent or not so innocent as the case may be when it comes to my family. Um, assholes, uh, but. That isn't what I mean. It's about... um, You can be authentic and not be exposed. Right. Exactly. And the funny thing is, when I oftentimes, when I have somebody in fandom that I just really struggle with, um, that they just kind of drive me bonkers, whatever, it's usually because I feel like they are a persona and not a person. And the persona that they throw at me over and over and over again gets annoying. It gets frustrating. It gets something. Sometimes it just pisses you off because it's an abusive persona, or sometimes, you know, it's because they're always one-upping me. You know, that persona is a little bit annoying. I've already done everything that you've ever done in your entire life and better than you. Um, I hate those people. Like, no, you haven't. And I don't know why this is part of the persona that you've created, but it's really irritating, so stop it. Um, What's also about personas that's really dangerous is that you're dehumanizing yourself. 
because someone in the chat room says don't dehumanize people behind screen names. And I think when people do that, it, it, it does create situations where they can feel like they can be abusive. But if you're presenting this, this false persona out into the world, um, you're also, in a way, dehumanizing yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm about to say, I'm not saying this to pick on anybody's handle, but when people, when you pick a handle, like let's say my handle was on rough trade and everywhere, lazy naked author. If somebody <laughs> out there has got that handle, I don't know about it. I just pulled that out of my ass. So whatever. People would treat me differently than I think than they do when they feel like they're interacting with a person as opposed to someone who has attached their identity to being lazy and naked. Well, I think um I think my choice to actually have like a a first and last name in fandom um might have been a little weird to people to start. Yeah. I think I've, I've always gone by a name, not a an obscure handle is because I felt like I was too wrapped up in um, whatever trait my handle was projecting, you know. And I'm not dissing handles. I mean, if that's what you, where, where your comfort level is, you need that level of anonymity, go for it. But um, I, I actually wouldn't know how to contain myself in a handle, you know what I mean? Well, for me... Um well, I think it's because of my professional life that the um that it just like okay, I need not, I, I need a new pen name. <laughs> that was that decision. It, it it wasn't oh, I need something this, you know, something to hide. No, I I just need a new pen name. And so I played with a whole bunch of ones, and um, I ended up using um parts of um a part of a name um from an actress and another part from one of my cousin's books. Um, their a character's last name. Uh, but uh, it um part of their last name anyway because uh, I didn't like the whole name anyway so it doesn't really matter but the, the, the thing is is it was just I had to ask a new pen name it, it it wasn't so much that I thought I needed a username because I've had tons of usernames and I still do have a whole bunch of one word usernames um, it's just not something that I uh, thought to do yeah it, it it just and you pick up like Lady Holder um, said that that was her. That was her Lady Holder was her handle. I mean, in my head, that's her name. And originally, Tempest, <laughs> yeah. he, he's Temp in my in my head. That's it's it's you know transmuted into an identity, um, an actual name. Um, you know, Sinna's Sinna's last name isn't really Minion. <laughs> you know? I'm sorry. Still. <laughs> okay. Um, and. Um, you get to know people who have a handle, like, um, you know, like we call Zan. I'm, 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 I'm going to put myself on hold. So Okay. Keep talking. So um, you eventually get to know something to call somebody, call them. But at, at first blush, when, when I meet people or encounter people on the Internet, um, having a way to address somebody, is it's humanizing. It's per, It becomes personal. Um if like let's say I'll go back to my example of lazy naked author. If I didn't ever give anybody a way to address me, where are they gonna call me? Lazy? Naked? Um, 
Barbara mentions, people call her by part of her handle. Um, but that kind of has become people who know her um, call her by a portion of her handle. It's become kind of a nickname. Um, but it's just something to think about when you are creating your online life is do you want that level, sort of like a level of abstraction for between you and the people you're interacting with? And maybe you do. It wasn't something that I sought because um, I wanted to give people a way to connect and a way to, without having to go through, oh, you can call me Jilly, don't call me lazy. <laughs> um and I don't know why I picked the name, just picked the name Lazy Naked Author, but, you know, um, but you see handles, people using handles, and you don't know how to address them. And it's not about revealing gender or anything of that kind of nature. It's just about giving a, way, a point of connection for me. And the level of distance um, um, you get with a really obscure handle um, and particularly sometimes even some really negative handles. It's like I don't know how to – it almost starts to feel rude. It's like I'm talking to somebody and I don't know how to to address them because they have a handle that to me has like negative words in it, like I hate my mother or something like that. <laughs> like what do I call you exactly? Um, you know, so it's just you do what you um, – do what you're comfortable with. If you need that layer of distance between you and fandom, I'd say totally go for it. But um, if you don't, you know, you, I think to me having a name is personalizing. Um, it's not a judgment at all. It's just that was kind of my thought process when I went through it is I didn't want people calling me and addressing me by some abstract handle that, um, you know, especially something like I hate my mother could be really, hey, hate. <laughs> How's it going today? Oh, still hating. Still hating. How you doing? <laughs> it's weird, right? But um, one aspect of this I want to touch on before we go, we only got four minutes left, is that when you're not genuine about who you are um, as a person, um, whether you're inflating or deflating your abilities or um, understating um, your knowledge on a subject and um, you're not being authentic, especially when it comes to uh, you create situations where people compare themselves to you and find themselves lacking. So when you say, oh, I suck at this, and then you go do it like a boss. It's demoralizing. It's demoralizing. And um, it's not cool. It's really not cool. And don't ever, you know, if you need to get away from fandom, if you need to go do that thing, do it. You're totally entitled. But for all... Just merciful, please do not fake your death. That is a horrible thing to do. I know people have done it before, and then they come back to fandom and they pretend like they're not who they were. It's an ugly scene, and just, just. I don't know anybody. I don't understand why you would fake your death. I mean, just imagine how terrible it would be if I did something like that. It would be horrible. It would be horrible. 
Um, aside from the pain, the whole betrayal issue when you come back to fandom is just ugly to deal with. So, um, you know, that's why being authentic. Why would you authentic. Hurt people? Yeah, I don't know. I never this this happened in in way way back when in the old days. You know, somebody. You know, there was this whole thing about they die. There was actually a memorial fund, and they turned. Are up you another, fucking another, kidding me? No, and there was a pen name. They came to turn up another pen name, and they were trying to keep it anonymous who they were, but someone found out, and, like, nobody knew how to respond. It's like, well, everybody's, like, trying to be polite, but, like, we all wanted to say, you fucking asshole. Um, but, you know, that's part of being authentic is owning your shit. And if you need to get away, you just get away. You don't owe anybody any explanations. But doing something incredibly artificial or false or just, lying like that it's a level of cruelty that i don't understand someone said never going to happen says i heard of someone who faked an illness and then ended up having to fake the death to get out of it oh my god i kind of that spiraled out of control (laughs) i'm kidding (laughs) that escalated real quickly (laughs) i don't just just do you and try not to do a lot of damage in the process that's um, what I'd like you to take away from that. Um, just, you know, just keep in mind that your interactions with other people can have impact, good and bad, on the Internet, whether you whether you mean it to or not. And that's all i got to say on that. <laughs> say good night. Good night, everyone. <laughs>